0: Well, that's a stirring speech, isn't it? Some say one of the great movie speeches. And uh, I don't know, every time I watch it, I almost want to pull on a kilt and jump on a horse and go fight an Englishman. <laughs> for freedom. For freedom. It's a great line. They may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. Stirs us because the desire for freedom lies very much deep within each of our hearts, I think. Deep within our hearts, we want to be free. We treasure our freedom. And even here in Australia, we hate it when we feel locked in. We hate it when we feel bound or shackled. We want to be free. And so often we want to do whatever it takes to be free of rules. We want to be free of responsibility. We'd love to be free of worry. We want to be free. But actually, what is freedom? What's true freedom? Because you know what? I think in our day, here in this room, our, our desire for freedom can seem a bit paltry, a bit shallow when it's weighed up against a scene from that movie. Or it can seem a bit shallow and a bit paltry when it's weighed up against the fact that did you know that at the moment there are some 27 million slaves in the world right now, many of whom are children? In England, there are young African children who have been bought off their parents and smuggled into England and forced to work as domestic slaves cleaning and cooking and being physically and sexually abused. Here in Australia... There are women from Thailand and Korea who are being imprisoned in in their home country and brought to Australia to work under slavery in the sex trade. Did you know that 70% of the world's cocoa comes from the Ivory Coast and Ghana, where it is harvested by child slaves? So that what we may be eating and drinking and wearing are the direct result of slavery. Freedom. So important to us, you know, but the plight of those African children, those Thai women, those Korean women, the plight of those people might just signal to us that perhaps, just perhaps, we don't understand the true value of freedom. And it's just so important that we do. So important that we don't settle for second best when it comes to freedom. And so we think about freedom tonight. Or better, we're thinking about redemption, redemption, being set free, being liberated. Because remember in this teaching series, where we're counting the spiritual blessings that are ours if we belong to Christ. We're working our way through the catalogue of blessing that we're calling Ephesians chapter 1. And before us tonight, in verses 7 and 8, is the blessing of redemption, the blessing of being set free the blessing of being liberated but what we need to consider very carefully tonight is what sort of freedom are we talking about and freedom from what they're the questions that we need to answer very carefully and correctly so that we can properly count this blessing so make sure you have your bible open in ephesians chapter one although i have reprinted the two verses on the top of your outline which is on the inside of the bulletin it'd be great to have that open And let's pray and ask God to help us understand freedom, help us to understand redemption. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this chance once more to come to such a precious and powerful part of your word. So many great and big and fantastic ideas and teachings, truths. Father, we thank you that in Christ Jesus, you bless us in the spiritual spiritual realms, the heavenly realms, with every spiritual blessing. And Father, tonight, as we try and count this blessing of redemption, we pray that you'd help us to understand it properly, that we might respond to you rightly. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So point one on your outline. And uh, in thinking about redemption, the great story, the great story of redemption, of course, is the redemption of the Old Testament Israelites from under the hand of Pharaoh in Egypt, some 1,500 years before Jesus, some 3,500 years before us. You may know the story well. I trust that you do. Millions of people enslaved to a king, who ruled over them, the most powerful king of the most powerful nation of the earth, Egypt. Slaves who were cruelly mistreated and oppressed and forced into labor, building the cities of Pithom and Ramesses. And in the midst of their ruthless treatment, they cried out to their God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, to save them. And the Lord heard their cries and he raised up the man Moses to be the deliverer. Moses was to be the Lord's spokesperson to Pharaoh on behalf of the Lord's people. And, of course, Moses' famous cry, let my people go, let my people go. But Pharaoh's heart was hard and he refused to let the people go. In fact, he treated them with even greater uh, cruelty. And so the Lord responded by sending a series of terrible plagues upon Egypt and the Pharaoh. First the river turned to blood, then the whole country was plagued with frogs, and then fleas, and then flies, and then disease, and then boils, and then hail, and then locusts, and finally darkness fell over Egypt for three days. A darkness, we read, that could be felt. And throughout the plagues... Moses' cry on behalf of the Lord was repeated, Let my people go! But Pharaoh's hard heart continued to respond, No. He refused to recognize the mighty hand of the Lord. He refused to release the Israelites. And so the most terrible of all the plagues fell upon Egypt. The Lord one night went throughout Egypt and every firstborn son in Egypt died from the firstborn son of Pharaoh to the firstborn son of the slave girl and the firstborn even of the cattle. And there was loud wailing in Egypt. And finally, Pharaoh summoned Moses and told him to leave his people and to leave his land. And so they left some 600,000 men, besides women and children, traveling on foot out of Egypt But of course, the story doesn't quite end there, does it? Pharaoh's hard heart remained and he decided to pursue his slaves. And so with 600 of his best chariots, along with all the other chariots of Egypt, he pursued them to the sea. And so with the Egyptians marching behind them and the sea before them, the Lord showed the power of his deliverance. And Moses raised his staff. And at that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind. And the Israelites crossed the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on either side of them. And as the Egyptians pursued them, the Lord caused the sea to return to its place. And the Egyptians were swept into the sea. The entire army of the Pharaoh swallowed. And after 430 years of slavery in Egypt... The Israelites found themselves safe, free, on dry ground outside of Egypt. And they gave thanks to the Lord in great song, for he had redeemed them. He had redeemed them. He had liberated them. He had set them free. And it's a spectacular, it's an epic true story. It is the great story of redemption, of prisoners Being freed by the Lord. And it's right that it should be celebrated and remembered. It's right that throughout the Old Testament history, the Israelites looked back on that act of the Lord. The redemption of the Lord with praise and thanksgiving. That was the moment of salvation. That was the moment of redemption. And so Psalm 77 is typical. Let me show it to you. Psalm 77. Your ways, O God, are holy. What God is so great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples with your mighty arm. You redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. It's the great story of redemption. Rescue from under the oppressive hand of the tyrant Pharaoh. But, you know, it's interesting, it's really interesting in the Old Testament that amidst the genuine thanksgiving and the remembering and the celebrating, amidst all of that, even in the Old Testament, there is a recognition that there is a greater, more oppressive tyrant than even the pharaoh of old. In the Old Testament, there's a recognition that there is a greater master, a more fearsome master than even the pharaoh of Egypt. And even in the book of the Psalms, together with a looking back on the great act of redemption from Egypt, like in Psalm 77 we've just read. Even in the Psalms, there is an anticipation. There is a looking forward, a waiting for an even greater act of redemption from under the hand of an even greater tyrant. And so, for example, in Psalm 130, we read this. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord... For with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. See the hope of Psalm 130? The Lord will redeem Israel. He has redeemed them from Egypt. He will redeem Israel, not just from Egypt, but from all their sins. And of course, as the story of the Bible unfolds onto center stage, of course, walks the one greater even than Moses onto the center stage. Walks the one who would be the instrument, the star of the greatest story of redemption. Point two on your outline. And I speak, of course, of Jesus. Listen to the words of Jesus in John chapter eight. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Friends, we really need to hear and recognize the power and the offense of Jesus' words there. Can you see them? Everyone who sins, Jesus says, is a slave to sin. That is a massive statement for humans to hear. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Because we love to think that we are free to do whatever we want, whenever we want, with whoever we want. And as Australians, we would generally describe ourselves as free. We celebrate the fact that we are a free country. We, we rejoice in song that we are young and free. And some of us focus on the free. And it's true that we enjoy a large measure of political freedom. We must never take that for granted. And it's true we enjoy a large measure of social freedom, but we're not free. We are not free. Not on our own. According to Jesus, we are enslaved. And our slavery is far, far worse than ever endured in those 430 years in Egypt by the Israelites. Far worse than that. Our slavery is far worse than that endured by the 27 million slaves around the world today. And I'm not wanting to minimize those slaveries in any way at all. I just mean to emphasize the horror of our slavery and indeed the slavery of every single person. Because according to Jesus, we are enslaved to sin. The tyrant who oppresses us is sin. And behind sin stands the devil himself. And on our own, we are slaves to sin. On our own, we follow the ways of this world, the ways of the devil. On our own, we are controlled by the flesh, by our sinful nature, by our sinful core. And so we do not submit to God's law. Indeed, we cannot submit to God's law. We do not and we cannot please God All that we can do on our own is sin. Friends, our will is not free except to choose evil. We do not make free choices. On our own, we are slaves to sin. And, of course, sin is the most horrible of all masters. Sin is self-destructive. It is destructive to those who are around us. It destroys relationships. It is socially and economically and environmentally and personally and globally disastrous. And sin leads inevitably to death and judgment and hell forever. And according to Jesus, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And we all sin. And we are all slaves. See, this is radical teaching from Jesus. This is the very opposite to what we want to believe, of course. This is the very opposite to what our humanist trained counsellors and social workers believe. The vast majority of our politicians don't want to believe this. Our media doesn't believe this. Your friends don't believe this. And maybe you don't believe it either. Because it's too pessimistic. It's so grim. But you know, I reckon it matches the evidence of life perfectly. Perfectly. You may be able to give up eating chocolate, but you will not and cannot give up sinning. You may be able to kick the habit of smoking, but you will not and cannot kick the habit of sin. Anyone with any insight at all into human behavior must admit the truth of what Jesus is saying. Our selfishness is instinctive. Talk to a parent. There are those of us who are enslaved to immorality. We are prisoners of our lust. The person who says, I can stop lying anytime I want to, has just lied. Our greed is unquenchable. We are slaves to sin. You cannot see the shackles, but you can certainly sense them, at least sometimes, in fleeting moments, before our enslaved self-delusion deludes us once more. We are slaves to sin. But remember the words of Psalm 130. Put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love. With him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. And that's true. With the Lord is full redemption. The Lord himself has Redeemed his people from their sins. You know what Jesus said immediately after pronouncing every single other human person anywhere a slave to sin? Do you know what Jesus said next? He said this. He said, Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Is that not a great promise of Jesus? If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And here is the blessing for us to count tonight, brothers and sisters, okay? The Lord himself did redeem his people from their sins. The son has made it possible for us to be set free from our sin. And so finally we come to our text tonight. It's been a while coming, but we need to properly set the scene. If you've got it there in front of you, it's on the top of the outline. I'd like us to read it together out loud, if that's all right. If you read it with me, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 to 8. Feel the power of this blessing. Read with me. Here we go. Ready? In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Count that blessing well, friends, okay? Have a look at it again with me. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. See, we who are slaves to sin, slaves to the power of sin, we can be set free. Our sins can be forgiven. We can be redeemed. And in fact, if you are here tonight and you belong to Christ Jesus, then you... Have been redeemed. You have been liberated from your slavery to sin. Jesus redeemed his people. And did you notice in those two verses you've just read for me, did you notice how he did it? Three words through his blood. Because our redemption from sin, like any redemption, came at a price, a ransom had to be paid to secure our freedom. In the first century, as Paul was writing, that was how slaves were freed. A ransom was paid. A slave was redeemed. But such is our slavery, you see, such is our slavery to sin. There's no way money could ever ransom us. What amount of money could buy me out of slavery to sin when my sin is against God himself? No money could do that for me or for you or anyone. So here's the staggering truth. You ready? Such is the grace of God. Such are the riches of God that he has lavished on us. It's such a great word. That Christ himself, the son, was presented to be the ransom. Christ offered himself himself in the place of his people, in his death on the cross, in order to redeem us from our sins. Way back in Egypt, Moses lifted his staff so that the wind would blow and the sea would part. Jesus, the son, allowed himself to be lifted onto a cross, a place of shame and curse, so as to die in our place, to bear the punishment that we deserved to set us free. Moses' cry back in Egypt was, let my people go. Jesus' cry was, it is finished. In order for the Son, you see, to set us free, the Son himself would have to die in our place as the ransom. And he did. He did. Jesus himself famously said, "For even the Son of Man." Whoops. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many, to redeem many. In one Peter chapter one, we read this: "For you know." That it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. No, no, it was with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And the Apostle Paul in our text says in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. That he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Brothers and sisters, if the son sets you free, then you are free indeed. And he gave up his life for you to redeem you from your sin. To set you free from slavery to sin and death. And that is the blessing that is before us tonight to count, to delight in. let point through on your outline. You know, the rejoicing of the Old Testament Israelites back there on dry land outside of Egypt. That ought to be nothing compared to our rejoicing and our thanksgiving. For we've been set free, not from slavery to Egypt, but from slavery to sin. So we want to say, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King. The triumphs of his grace. He breaks the power of cancelled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. Brothers and sisters, Jesus died to redeem you from your sins. It was all of God's grace. It was all in accordance to the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. We need a thousand tongues to sing of it. We long for freedom. And Jesus, the Son of God, sets you free indeed. And it's a wonderful, it's a glorious freedom, although it may surprise you at first. The freedom may surprise you at first because sadly, we simplistically think of freedom as the absence of restrictions. But that's not right. Freedom is not the absence of restrictions. That's like the goldfish who wants to be free of the restraint of the bowl of water. And so in a desperate quest for freedom, he jumps out of the bowl onto the table that the bowl is sitting on. So the goldfish is out of the bowl, but he is, is he more or less free? He's dead. Okay, He's dead. Freedom is not the absence of limitations. True freedom is found in finding the right ones. True freedom is the right limitations that most suit our nature. And as a human person, when, we are, when are we most free? We are most free in relationships of love. And of course, the truest and deepest, most important relationship of love that we were created to enjoy is with God himself, in communion with him. And so, friends, here's the paradox, okay, or at least it sounds like a paradox, but it's not really. True freedom, true freedom is found in serving Christ as our Lord. True freedom is found in serving Christ as our Lord. He came to set us free, free indeed, and that freedom is found in serving him as Lord. That is where we discover true freedom. The Bible pushes us even further, you know, because in the Bible, true freedom is described as slavery to Christ. It's really pushing us, isn't it? True freedom, slavery to Christ. That's freedom. Loving and serving Christ Jesus in communion with God. That is a freedom that extends into all of eternity. And you know what? In many ways, in many ways, the second half of this letter to the Ephesians is a description of our freedom in Christ. And I'd, I'd really um, urge you to read them this, this week, chapters 4, 5 and 6. And you'll discover there, as the, our Christian freedom is described, you'll find it's the freedom to speak the truth in love. It's the freedom to no longer steal, but to be generous. It's the freedom to be kind and compassionate. It's the freedom To pursue sexual purity. It's the freedom to submit in relationships. It's freedom. Christ Jesus died to purchase us for himself. Our old slavery to sin leads only to death and judgment and hell. But slavery to Christ, obedience to Christ, leads to life. Life full and forever. And so you know what? The call of Christ tonight to his redeemed people... The call of Christ tonight is this. Live out your freedom from sin. Count yourself dead to sin now. I have redeemed you from sin. I have broken the power of sin in your life. Sin is no longer your master now. So serve me. Live for righteousness. Put to death your old life enslaved to sin. Instead, say no to ungodliness because you can now. You are no longer controlled by the sinful nature. You are being led by the spirit, my spirit, as he changes you and shapes you by his sword, the word. And though the sinful nature is still present, it no longer rules you. It's no longer the boss of your life because I am and I have set you free to live for me and find life and life to the full. Brothers and sisters, that's how we count this blessing. We live out our freedom in Christ. We live out the reality that in Christ we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. The cry of William Wallace in that movie clip at the beginning was, you are free men. What will you do with your freedom? And I say to you tonight, if you belong to Jesus, you are free people. What will you do with your freedom? How about we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you. For the freedom that we enjoy in Christ Jesus from sin, from its mastery, from its power. And Father, we are stunned that such a price would be paid to set us free, to redeem us. The pure, blameless blood of Christ himself. We are so glad, Father, that the Son has set us free. So, Father, tonight we ask, please, help us to live out our freedom well. Help us to delight in our freedom. And help us no longer, Father, count sin as our master. Instead, help us to count ourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ. Fill us with your spirit, please, Father, that we might love you and serve you Forever. Thank you for life. Life to the full. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friends, I've been assuming through all that talk, I've been talking to you as if you belong to Jesus, but I know that some of you, that's probably not true yet. And uh, I really would love to talk to you some more about that. I hope that you've glimpsed perhaps even just a little bit of what a wondrous thing it is to come to Jesus and what a terrible thing it is to stay apart from him. So if, it's, if that talk's raised some questions for you, maybe it's even made you a bit cranky, or maybe you're just a bit puzzled by some things, I'd love the chance to talk some more. It's going to take some courage for you. I guess you're going to have to come and say uh, hi to me and ask me a question. But my face is not painted blue, so that shouldn't be too bad. I'm certainly not wearing a kilt. But uh, I'd love to have that conversation. It may be, though, you know someone else here who is a Christian. You might want to talk to them and feel more comfortable. Like that That's fine as well. Please, though, do not leave tonight without knowing clearly what redemption is and whether or not you enjoy it right now. We're going to help each other to enjoy and praise God for redemption by singing two songs together. And then after that, we're going to share some stuff. I hope that we'll keep talking about these things that matter so much.